you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John to chapter 20. We will be looking at verses 24 through 31. And we'll read that, that section together. Putting this into its context. The Lord has been betrayed, arrested, um, abandoned by the disciples. There's been a, a little mock poor trial that's taken place, and he was condemned to death. Um, he was crucified um, in the most brutal way put to death for our sins so that the price could be paid for every sin that we would ever or could ever commit. He has paid the price for that upon the cross. He's breathed his last and was buried. All of the prophecies being fulfilled. The disciples... Women, all who were following Christ, are devastated. They've lost the one that they've been with for the last three years. The one in whom they were certain was the one who was to come to rescue them from their um, lives under the Roman Empire. They loved him. They genuinely loved him. And he's died, and he's been buried. And earlier, as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, he rose again from the dead. The tomb there was found empty without him in it. His grave clothes were there, and the writer of this particular gospel said that he saw those grave clothes and the way in which the body had been removed from those grave clothes, and he says that he saw and he believed. We find that Jesus has appeared to the women. He's appeared to Mary Magdalene and, and, and has appeared now to the disciples, all the disciples with the exception of Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. So that's where we come to now. It's a week later. It's, been, it's gone from Sunday to Sunday. It's a week later. And over the course of that week, Thomas... He hasn't seen the Lord. And now we come to verse 23, or 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciple therefore said to him, we have, the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Now he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, and the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, 
reach your finger here and, and, and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and have yet believed. Having read our text, I want to come before the Lord in prayer right now and pray that the Lord just meets us here in this place. Let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what an amazing text before us. I, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts on this morning. You, you know every person in here. You know every doubt that has ever come into our minds or even the doubts that we're dealing with right now. And, and I pray, Lord, that, that you would meet us here and not only meet us here, but radically work in hearts. If there's anybody that's here that's, that's yet to believe upon you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. And for us as believers, Lord, I pray that our faith would just be affirmed during this time. Then we'd find ourselves praising you and more in love with you and, and calling out to you, my Lord and my God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you imagine Thomas. For whatever reason, he wasn't there in that room when Jesus appeared to the disciples, to the other ten. So, Thomas, he's not locked up into the room with the rest of the disciples as they were there and the doors were shut and they were locked and they were in there for, for what? For fear of the Jews. Thomas isn't there. I don't know where he is. The Bible doesn't tell us where he is, but the Bible does tell us a little bit about this man. We refer to him frequently as Doubting Thomas. It's his name. When you think of Thomas, you think of Doubting Thomas. But this wasn't a man that was someone who was weak in the sense of weaker than the rest of the disciples. I think of in John chapter 11 and verse 16 where it tells us about Thomas and it tells us who's called the twin. So he had a twin something, brother or sister. So it's Thomas who's called the twin. He's there with, with Jesus and the other disciples and they're going to, to Lazarus and they're gonna, they, they want to go to this particular region where Jesus was in great danger in going to. And and when they're looking at the fact that, that, that they could die in this area that they're going to near Jerusalem, Thomas says, let us also go that we may die with him. That's where Thomas was at in John eleven sixteen. Let's go. We'll go too. Now, there's two ways to look at this. Like You can look at it as pessimistic John, or Thomas where he's there going like, okay, we're going to go. We're going to die. Like, for sure, we're going to die. And he's just being pessimistic and lack of faith, which more likely was a part of it. But there's also something um, praiseworthy in it as far as, in his mind, we're going. Let's go with Jesus, and we'll die with him there. I'm willing to die for him. I'm willing to have it cost me my life to go with Jesus. I, I just want to be with him. If he's going there, then I'm going to go with him. And I don't care if it costs me my life. I will go with him wherever it is that he goes. 
We find again in John chapter 14 where Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. You know the way. And Thomas is there and Thomas responds by saying, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where you're going and I don't know the way to get there. In Thomas's mind, again, it could be, I don't want to be separated from you. You just said all this, and I'd hate to be the one not to ask the question as far as how do we get to where you're going? You're going someplace, and we can't go with you, but you're going to come to get us, and you tell us that we know the way. I don't know the way. I don't want to be in a place of I should have asked. I should have known which way it was to go. I should have said something when he said that because he's going to be gone from us and I don't want him to be gone for us. I just want to be with him. And Jesus responds by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One of the the greatest passages in all of Scripture, how do we know the way? How do we know the way to the Father? Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so Thomas has it in his mind where, aren't you glad he asked? What a great passage for us as far as there's only one way to the Father and it's through Christ. There's only one way to the Father and it's through faith in Christ, through believing in Christ. You want to know how to get to heaven? You want to know how you go to a place where there's many mansions? If it weren't so, I would have told you. I've gone to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to receive you to myself. I'm going to bring you with me. How do we get there? How do we get to a place where there's fullness of joy and everlasting joy and and the presence of the Father and being able to see Christ and our Lord in all of his glory and no more sorrow and no more sadness and no more tears? The former things have passed away. It is through faith in Christ. He is the only way that we can get there. And so Thomas asked, Well, now we come to Thomas after the death of Christ, after his burial, and he's gone. He's not there. He's not with the rest of the disciples, and we're not sure why. For some people, in a time of grieving, they they just want to be alone, right? They just want to be alone. Well, I don't want to be with everybody. I don't want to be around all these people. I just want to be alone. Um, it's understandable sometimes. But at the same time, um, we're not to forsake the gathering together of the body. For us as Christians, we're not to be in a place of being alone. Thomas missed out on a great blessing because he was not with the rest of the disciples as they were gathered together. He was out by himself, maybe bitter, maybe sad, maybe both, maybe hopeless, but he was by himself and and the other disciples weren't with him. And so he missed seeing the Lord. Now on top of that, imagine that he He's found by the disciples later on. He's found by the women. He's found by all those that have seen Jesus after his resurrection. And they're coming to him and they're saying, we've seen the Lord. 
We've seen him. This is what happened. We went down to the tomb, and, and there was an angel there. There was multiple angels there. And, and, and then Jesus appeared to us, and we were wa- walking on the road to Emmaus. This is what happened to us as we were walking. We saw the Lord. We were with the Lord. We spent time with him. We were up in the upper room, and he, he appeared to us, and he revealed himself to us. We were locked in this room, and he was there. And so he's looking at it like my 10 closest buddies, <laughs> these guys that I've spent the last three years with doing ministry with, all of them got to see the Lord. All of them have said that they've seen him. But I didn't get to see him. Jesus appeared to all of them. He even appeared to Mary. He even appeared to the other women. He appeared to these two guys on the road to Emmaus. He, he uh, uh, appeared to all of these guys, but he didn't, he didn't appear to me. He didn't appear to me. And you hear him in this particular passage where the disciples are saying, we've seen, we've seen the Lord, and he says to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I won't. I don't care if all of you guys say that you've seen the Lord. I don't care if you said that you've seen him multiple times. I don't care if you saw that the the stone was rolled away and you tell me there was angels that were there. I don't care what it is that you tell me unless, unless I actually go and put my finger there in the print in those nails and into his side. I will not believe. You're not gonna trick me. I'm not gonna be deceived. I, I gave my heart fully to him. I would have died with him. I would have gone anywhere with him. I would have done anything for him. And he's gone. He died. He was crucified. He was buried. And he appeared to all of you, but he hasn't appeared to me. And I will not be deceived. I'm determined to not be tricked or fooled or put my faith in something that's not real. And so, Thomas is there. Eight days have gone by. That's a long time, isn't it? It's a long time of hearing from the other disciples. It's a long time of thinking of these things. It's a little bit of time. A week's gone by. You might be able to identify with Thomas a little bit. You're one of the people that everything has to be logical to you. You're, you're, you're one of those people that, that, that you, you have to be able to see it to be able to believe it. You're not going to be tricked. You're not going to be fooled. You're not going to be deceived. You're, you're, you're one of those people like, I need evidence. I need good, solid evidence. I, I think I fit into that category quite a bit as far as just my faith. My believing in Christ, it was not like a blind leap out into the darkness as far as like, ah, I don't care. Like, you know, my parents believe this, so it must be true. Not at all. It was looking at the evidence that was before me. It was going through and searching Scripture. It was going through and reading and reading and reading, trying to understand all of these different things. And I think of like the kindness of our Lord. I, I, I remember sitting in class 
in, in Mr. Hinkle's social science class and him saying to that class, how many of you guys are believers? How many of you guys are Christians? And a bunch of us raise our hands. And he's like, really? So you believe in Noah's Ark? And you believe that Jonah got swallowed by a great fish? And, and you believe that, that God created everything? And, and, and Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. And where did they get their wives from? And he, and he just continued to say all of these questions. And I sat there in that class just going like, I don't know the answers to those questions at all. Like, I, mean, I was so disturbed. I sat there in that class just going like, I don't know the answers. I don't know the answers. And then I, I, I thought, in the kindness of the Lord, I thought, there's no way my parents tricked me for all these years. Like, there's just no way. <laughs> and then I, I went from there to thinking, honestly, I, I remember like, like it was yesterday. I remember all my parents' friends, the church. And I, I remember just thinking, like, it's genuine. Like, what's in them is genuine. There's no way this isn't true. I mean, I've seen it in the lives of all these people. And I, I went through my dad's library. I didn't say anything, but I was going through his library, and I saw this book that just said, Answers to Tough Questions the Skeptics Asked by Josh McDowell. And I grabbed that little green book, and I just started reading through it. And I'm like, every question this guy gave is in this book. Like, I mean, it, it, I think it was the first book I ever read all the way through, besides where the red fern grows. It, it, and, and I... <laughs> I just read through it, right? You know, Big Dan, Little Ann, you're with me, where the red fern grows. So I, I read through the book, and I remember going back to class the next day, and I said, I got answers to all those questions that you have. And he's like, all right, class is yours. And so for the whole class, I went through, like, okay, you said this, and you said this, and you said this. Here's the answers to all these questions. And, like, there's all these other people in the class, like, ah, I believe too. Yeah, I believe that too. Yeah, you know, and it was the coolest thing. And I, I remember like sharing the Lord with Mr. Hinkle for the next four years. I, I took him to a creation versus evolution debate at Biola University because I was like, we, come, will you come with me? And this is my senior year. And he came. Still an unbeliever. It, it was a few years after that that he came to me and found me at a homecoming game. He's like, yeah, I just got to tell you, I've come to know Christ. And then I did his funeral a few years back. But knowing, I, he would call me, I want to go to Sudan with you. I want to go here with you. I want to do this with you. God had done a work in that man's heart. But it wasn't a blind faith. I wanted to know, like, is this real? Is it true? Did he rise again from the dead? Is the Bible true? Is it perfect? Is it trustworthy? And I'll tell you, I'm as convinced as any, anybody can be convinced that it's true. I mean, when you go through and you see hundreds of prophecies that are given in incredible detail, and then it, it happened exactly the way that God said it would happen thousands of years later or hundreds of years later, when you look in and you think of the eyewitnesses that said that they saw Christ and, and, and their response to seeing him and them being willing to die for their faith, in Christ, and you begin to look at all the evidences of science and archaeology and 
the consistency of Scripture from Genesis through the book of Revelation of God's plan of redemption for mankind. And, and all of it is clearly a display of we serve a God who is true and he is living and our faith is intelligent. And so Thomas is one of those guys. Unless I put my fingers in those wounds, I will not believe. Now you think of the Lord. The Lord could have responded by, well, you weren't there with the rest of the guys because you were pouting. You weren't there and you should have been with them. And all of these guys that you've served with for the last three years that you've come to know and to love, they all said that they saw me. The women said that they saw me. These other disciples have said that they've seen me. So how is it that you don't believe? You want a special revelation just for you? I mean, you're saying you want to put your finger in my hands, the, in, the, the, the wounds in my hands and in my side, and you're not going to believe, even though you have a great testimony of these people who all also, mind you, didn't believe until they saw. But you're still not going to believe? I mean, Jesus had every reason just to say, well, then... Forget Thomas. But he doesn't do that, does he? You see Jesus go and say, says in eight days the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came and the doors being shut. He stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. Peace to you. And then he immediately says to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Don't be unbelieving, Thomas, but be believing. So you see, for Thomas, he said, These are the things. This is the criteria. Unless this happens, I will not believe. And what does Jesus do? He hits every one of them. Thomas says, unless I see in his hands these these marks, these wounds from the nails, and Jesus responds, see my hands? Thomas says, unless I put my finger in the place of those nails, and Jesus says, and bring your hand and put it into my side. Thomas says, unless I I put my hand into his side, and Jesus says that exact same thing, I will definitely not believe. And Jesus responds, and be no longer unbelieving, but believing. He addresses every single thing that Thomas had asked. Every one of them. Think of the response now of Thomas. Before I go there, the question has come up, did he actually put his hands in those wounds, his finger in those wounds? Did he touch his side? I don't get the idea when Jesus says this that it's if you want to. 
In fact, later on, you'll see where, where the disciples are talking about Jesus and them being eyewitnesses, and they're saying, and we handled him. We touched him. I think Jesus is saying, give me your hand. Touch it right now. No, you, you said that unless you touched my side. Touch my side now. And Thomas does, and he answers, and he says to Christ, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. One of the greatest verses, proclamations of Christ in all of Scripture came from Thomas. Someone who is saying, unless I actually see these things, I'm not going to believe. Unless I touch him, I'm not going to believe. And the response is, my Lord and my God. The one who created everything and the one who I will follow for the rest of my life. That's his response. You are my Lord and my God. There's no question in his mind as far as who it is that Christ is. He's my Lord and he is my God. Thomas went from there to be a great missionary for the Lord. It wasn't that, that his response was, my Lord and my God, and then it doesn't do anything from this point on. History tells us, tradition tells us, the strongest tradition tells us that he went from there to India. And there in in. In India, he proclaimed the gospel. Still to this day, there's a place there in India where they say that Thomas was buried. This tradition tells us that he was martyred for his faith by being run through with a spear. Spear driven through him. Buried in India. Thomas was willing to go wherever it was that Christ had called him to go. You are my Lord and my God. I'll go. I'll go wherever you call me to go. I mean, imagine the distance of going from where Jesus was to the southern portion of India where he's thought to have been. You don't get there easily from Israel. And he's going like, I'm going to go to a place to the nation's to a place where I don't know anybody because I'm going to be there and I'm going to tell people about Christ. And the church started there in India and they still look to him as he was the one that brought Christianity to this country. My Lord and my God. What an incredible statement of worship unto Christ. My Lord and my God. Have you been brought to that place? I mean, here's, 
here's Thomas, unless I, unless I touch those wounds, I'm not going to believe. And Jesus appears to him, and his response is, my Lord and my God. I'll follow you wherever you call me to be. I will serve you for the rest of my life. I will worship you with all that is within me. You are my Lord and my God. And then Jesus is so gentle with him from there. Jesus responds by saying, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and have yet believed. You've seen me and you believe. But how blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And that would include all of us believers here this morning. How blessed are we? We haven't seen him. We've never had the opportunity to put our our hands, our fingers into the wounds that are in his hand or into his side. But there is faith in Christ. There is hope in Christ. Our hope for salvation is in the gospel that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and he died and he was buried and he rose again on the third day and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And our faith for salvation is in him. Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The evidence is there for us. The evidence is there for us as far as Christ has risen from the dead. He appeared to the women. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to what we'll find is over 500 people at one time. And it even says, and most of them are still alive to like affirm that that's the case. In case you thought that maybe they saw a hallucination or a ghost, no. Touch my hands, touch my side. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. John from there says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's so much other things that John could have written. So many signs that Jesus had did that were not recorded in this book. Countless things that they witnessed in those three years and saw, and John just says, they're not written in this book, but these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. That you might have life 
in his name, that you might have eternal life, that you might be born again, that you might have eternal life with Christ to spend all eternity with him through faith in Christ. John's saying this is why the book was written. So do you believe? And in believing, do you have life in his name? This is why this book was written. We're down to the last chapter starting next week. We have had 93 sermons in the Gospel of John. We've searched through God's word here and there is such great evidence, isn't there? Perfect evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He has gone through and he has articulated for us from the very beginning that Jesus is in fact God. If you remember, I'm going to do a quick survey for you real quick, okay? It's not going to be that quick. I have 15 minutes left. <laughs> he begins, in the beginning was the Word. That's how he starts the book. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He starts out, this is who he is, and he goes from there, and he says, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and if you have any question who the word is, the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. It's Christ. He goes from there to just talk about him and to give descriptions of him and says, here's the things that he's done. In case you're curious whether or not these things are true, here's some of the things. We were, we were at this wedding and, and there were these six water pots that were there and, and each of them had 20 or, or 30 gallons of, of water and, and Jesus said to fill the, these water pots with water and so we filled them to the brim and then... And then He turned this water into wine. And even the, the master of the house came out and he said, like, who brings out the best wine at the end? Like the most incredible wine I've ever had at the end. And, and Jesus, said, Jesus had turned the water into wine. Who has the ability to do that? John says. He says that the Jews were saying, show us a sign. And Jesus' response was, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews respond and say, 46 years it took to build the temple and you're going to raise it in three days. And then John says he was talking about his body. That was in John chapter 2. He's bringing them to a point of, back then, when the Jews were all mad at him, 
When the Jews were saying, give us a sign, give us a sign, give us a sign, he said, destroy this body, this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. And then John tells us in chapter 2, verse 22, when he had risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture in which and the word in which Jesus had said. John goes back and he says, Jesus talked about Moses and, and, and how Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and even so the son of man must be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And John, the most memorized verse probably for everybody here goes to just a few verses before where John's telling us, Jesus said, remember Moses when he took that serpent and they were all being bit and he took that serpent and he raised it up in the middle of the, the camp and, and the people would look upon the serpent and if they looked upon the serpent, they'd be healed. All they had to do was look at the serpent that was there in the middle of the camp and they would be healed. They wouldn't die as long as they looked at the serpent. Well, Jesus said, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. He's showing that all through Scripture, it is all pointing to Christ. Jesus said to the woman in chapter 4, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see the man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? He knows everything. And from him comes everlasting life. From him, our thirst will be quenched in such a way that we will never need anything else ever again. Who talks like that? Unless you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God himself. No one else talks like that. Also in chapter 4, you see that there's a, a man who has a son that's at the point of death. And this nobleman's there and he, he says to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus says, Go your way, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And as he was going down, the servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And he inquired of them the hour that he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, the seventh hour, the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household I mean, John's just going through and said, like, this nobleman came and his son was at the point of death and Jesus just said, your son lives. At that exact same time, the son's fever went away. That nobleman believed and his entire household believed. Jesus can just say the word. He doesn't even need to be near someone. He could just say the word and the son would be healed. John goes from there in chapter 5. There's a man that had this infirmity for for 38 years, and, and he's lying there next to this pool, and Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And the guy just says, no one's there to put me in the pool. They all step in before me, and Jesus says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, and he took up his bed and walked, and it was the Sabbath. He could heal a man 
that was crippled for 38 years. Jesus says to them, my father has been working until now and I've been working. And so the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. There in chapter five. He's saying that he's equal with God. Jesus said in chapter five, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. They're talking about me. All of the verses of the Old Testament are talking about me. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For Moses wrote about me, Jesus says. When Moses is writing, he's writing about me. And then John goes through and just explains over and over again, as Matthew does as well, going through and, 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 and over and over again, this is, all of this is pointing towards Christ. They're talking about Christ. He takes the five barley loaves and the two fish and he feeds 5,000. Chapter 6. He walks on water in chapter 6. He says, I'm the bread of life in chapter 6. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. John tells us that the people, in chapter 7, tells us the people said, when Christ comes, will he do more signs than this, than these which this man has done? I mean, what do you want, guys? Like, what do you want? How many miracles do you think that he's going to do? How many signs do you think he's going to do? This must be the Christ. John tells us that there was a man that was Blind from birth. Jesus went and he spit in the ground and took the mud and put it in his eyes and told the man to go wash his eyes at the pool of Siloam. And he went and washed and he came back seen. The neighbors are all looking at him. Isn't that the blind guy that used to beg? Is that him? Honestly, that looks like the blind guy. That's the guy that was blind from birth. It's got this always begging. And now look, he sees. Is that him? And the guy's like, I am he. <laughs> it's me. I am that person. And, and you, you just watch the whole process there. That they're like, how is it that Jesus can do this? How can Jesus take someone who's blind from birth and make them able to see? The blind guy says, since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of someone who's been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And all the leaders say, religious leaders say, you were completely born in sins and you're teaching us? They cast him out. Who are you to teach us, you beggar, blind guy? Not so blind anymore. You shouldn't be teaching us. And Jesus goes and finds this man that was born blind. Do you believe in the Son of God? The man answers, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus says to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who's talking with you. And the man responds, Lord, I believe. And then the man <coughs> worships him. John's saying, I'm telling you guys all of these stories so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. I'm telling you guys these things so that you would believe and have life 
in his name? Who heals people that are born blind? Who multiplies fish and loaves? Who walks on water? Who takes people who are crippled for 38 years and makes them able to take up their bed and walk? Who causes people like Lazarus to rise again from the dead? All of the prophecies, Palm Sunday, Palm Branches, the people crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Him coming on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I mean, John's just going through and saying it was all prophesied. All of it was prophesied. All of it came about. And if you remember that study when we did that back in several months ago, John chapter 12, the, the, the exact day of Palm Sunday, the exact day prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, and it happened just as God had said. Jesus predicting Peter's denial. Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. All that Jesus did pointing them to the fact that Christ Jesus is the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that he is God. And so John finishes this chapter, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. I wrote these things. I told you about these things. I told you about the fact that Thomas actually touched his hand and touched his side. Thomas responded by saying, my Lord and my God, I'm telling you all of these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. How many of you have ever responded to the Lord by saying, my Lord and my God. All of us as believers, haven't we? All of us at some point have said, he is my Lord and he is my God. The same Holy Spirit that drew Thomas, the same Lord that so gently came to Thomas and said, don't, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. The same Lord that brought Thomas to a place of saying, my Lord and my God is the same one who drew us unto him. And the same one who may be drawing you this morning if you're an unbeliever. To cry out, my Lord and my God. These things were written so that you would believe. It was written so that you would believe and that your faith would be firm. So that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that through believing, you would have life in his name. God has accomplished that millions and millions of times. And how blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And I pray that he would accomplish that in your heart this morning if you are here this morning as an unbeliever. 
today is the day of salvation for you. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Thomas touched his hand and he touched his side. Thomas was not looking to follow blindly. And God gave him all the evidence that he needed. God's given you all the evidence that you could ever possibly need to know that Christ Jesus is God. And he died on the cross for your sins. And he rose again on the third day. And if you believe in him, you won't perish but have everlasting life. For us as believers here, may we joyfully respond. I think of the joy of Thomas. The joy of Thomas when he responded, my Lord and my God. Every bit of doubt was destroyed when he saw him. For those eight days, he just wanted to see the risen Christ. He wouldn't believe unless he saw him. And his response was, my Lord and my God. And then he followed him the rest of his life. May we respond the same way this morning. My Lord and my God, I will follow you. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time, and we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for these first 20 chapters in the Gospel of John and the power of them to bring us to a place of seeing that you are, in fact, our Messiah, the King of kings, our Lord and our God. May we now respond properly with worship. May we sing to you with all that is within us. May the same joy in which Thomas had when he touched Jesus' hands and touched his side and was no longer unbelieving but believing, may that same joy resonate in each one of our hearts as we worship the risen Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.